Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School, where drawing, painting, and sculpture are studied in-depth, debated energetically, and created with passion. The school's full-time programs, a two-year MFA, and a three-year certificate prioritize experimental learning and perception. Beginning in fall 2021, the Studio School welcomes artists from around the world to join its inaugural virtual certificate program. Combining the studio-centric emphasis of the school's teaching methods with an individual real-time approach to online learning, this full-time program is designed for serious artists and dedicated aspiring artists who seek to cultivate the studio skills and methods that will prepare them for a lifetime of art making. The priority application deadline is April 30th, 2021. Apply online today at nyss.org. Ryan McGinnis is an American artist living and working in New York, New York. He grew up in the surf and skate culture of Virginia Beach, and then he studied at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh as an Andrew Carnegie scholar. During college, he interned at the Andy Warhol Museum as a curatorial assistant. Known for his extensive vocabulary of original graphic drawings that use the visual language of public signage, corporate logos, and the contemporary symbology, Ryan is credited with elevating the status of the icon to fine art through his creation of his paintings, sculptures, installations, and books. Concerned with the perceived value of forms, he assumes the power of his visual language in order to share personal expressions. The New York Times noted, In the past decade, Ryan has become an art star thanks to the Warholian mix of pop iconography and silk screening. Vogue declared Ryan McGinnis as a leading pioneer of new semiotics. His work is in the permanent public collections of the Museum of Modern Art, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego, the Cincinnati Art Museum, Muzak in Spain, and the Taguchi Art Collection in Japan. I caught up with Ryan for a talk about signage, books, skate culture, designing live music posters, making paintings, and much more. Here's our conversation. But yeah, I when I got that package, I thought, oh, this makes total sense because I imagine, and I've, I'm excited to talk to you for many reasons, but one of them is definitely, I think we probably had a shared um, sort of like early moments in our life of being into skateboarding and stickers and ephemera and posters and music and all that. And just like seeing that sort of reified that I know that you, you're into that, the right. stuff of it. Right. right. I, I, I value the uh, material world um, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and making a, things. It's a broader <laughs> scope. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's poignant now, given what's going on with the, the silliness online and the sales of digital uh, artwork. Oh, yeah. Jeez, yeah. that, yeah, that's a whole new 
can of worms, isn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I've just been talking to friends about, I mean, I talked to my class about that today and I've been talking to friends about it. And when I first, when that news first started to pick up some steam, I thought to myself, all right, this is something that I'm going to ignore. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't want to deal with this. Right. And uh, because it's always like a sensationalized front door to the conversation. It's never like a slow build of like, Oh, guess what's happening. You know, it's always like this happened and everyone has an extreme reaction to it. And then like the dust settles and it's like, okay, well, how does this work? Sort of thing. And and so what do your students think? They, some were scared. (laughs) Fear of like the unknown of, but I think they all felt like it, it's super complicated Mm. and they don't even know how to like enter into that because think about it. I don't know if you feel the same way, but when I was in school, the idea of the art market was like, what? Like I didn't even, it didn't even make any sense. I didn't, I didn't even approach it. I was just like, I just want to make paintings and like, yeah, it'd be great one day to sell some and be able to, to afford to make more. That was it. That was my extent of like, art market ambitions you know what I right, mean you just right. don't really get that much of it whereas now it's like crammed down your th- like you can't escape it really well it's a it's a popular spectator sport right yeah definitely and, and uh you're right same with me when i was in school what i mean the idea of an art market wasn't even on my radar i didn't even, you know didn't even think about that at all yeah. um and it was difficult enough to think about even being able to sell work you know, right. Um, and, and then beyond that, think about what that could possibly mean in terms of sustainability, which ultimately, just like you said, is, is really the goal. Just want to be able to yeah. continue making work. That's, that's the baseline. Um, but yeah, now you're right. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's in your face. It's crammed down, <laughs> uh, crammed down your throat, I guess, I guess. Um, and you can't ignore it. Right. And right. so you said some students are scared. Uh, what scares them? I, I don't know. Like it, it, well, it's just uh, maybe it's the, well, in the same way that um, when I was in school and the idea of moving to New York was scary. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. Than, the unknown. Yeah. It's bigger than your imagination. And sometimes that can be a little, mm-hmm. maybe not scary, but, you know, daunting. Or right. just like, how do I even enter this? Right. Right. You know, and I was talking about the idea, the idea that this sort of phenomenon of the non-fungible or whatever it is, I mean, it's existed in the art world. You know, there have been, there are pieces that are a piece of paper that it's not the piece, you know. I was always blown away when my friend worked for private deal, secondary dealers. Okay. And he temporarily, for some reason, had a Tom Friedman in his apartment. Okay. And he was, he was, it was going somewhere else. Anyways, long story short, it was like this stack of, of, um, plastic cups that were painted different colors. It was like a gradient and it was awesome. I was like, Oh, that's so cool. That's the time. And he's like, yeah, actually it's the paper is what the work is. This is, this can be thrown out or whatever. You just do it as per the paper. And in that moment I was like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. So that has existed. And now it's just, you merge that with GIFs and, you know, the internet, and then it seems really kind of out, you know, for a lot of people, I think. Right, which is to say the idea of the artwork existing as a um, program, right? Yeah. As a set of instructions has existed, of course. And right. and and now it seems like, well, well, this is the latest manifestation of that. The work is really only... Um, 
you know, computer program, you know, which is great. It's you conceptual know, it, art. I mean, isn't that what money is? Like bills, are bills still backed? I don't know. Maybe they are. Are bills still backed by solid bricks of gold or is it no, just a piece no, of paper? No, no, no. Yeah, we've been off the gold standard for a while. Right? Right? They're back, backed yeah. by faith. Um, it's honor system at this point. <laughs> this, this piece so. of paper is the same exact as that piece of paper. It just has more zeros on it. So that can change your life. Isn't that weird? <laughs> uh, well, that, that I suppose. I mean, that, that's that's just the way it is. I mean, um, money is is just uh, uh, a means by which to facilitate trade. And so, in order to do that, we need a common denominator. So, money is just the lowest common denominator that we can all agree on. Yeah. 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 Surprisingly. Uh, Art is not the lowest common denominator, but no. In fact, it trans feel it. It, it transcends <laughs> value, thing, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and 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 that's why there's so much um, friction when it rubs up against money. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. And the, yep. the the irony is that the the realm of of <laughs> art is filled with people with lots of money, and then those who are making it who are oft struggling for any of that money. Right. Right. Um, that, that, that I could understand how that would seem strange, but it's, you know, to your point earlier, kind of the way it's always been. Yeah. Right. It's just, yeah. it's just a different framework. Basically. Right. 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 And it's all fine because if the work is not valued, it, it won't be protected. Right. right. And ultimately what we want is for the work to be protected and shared and, you know, it needs to be valued in order for that to happen. Yeah. But to bring this out of a, a sort of conversation about commercialism and, and you know, just money <laughs> and to bring it somewhere very altruistic, don't you think that the the core, like if your core as an artist is to make things, then that stuff doesn't matter anyways, really. Like at the end of the day, it's like, oh, right, of course, of it. course. Yeah, yeah. Of you know course. what I mean? Yep. Like yep, yep. To, our, to the point of like when we were in school, I didn't care. Like when I went to graduate school, it wasn't about I'm going here because I'm going to make a lot of money. Right. Or because, and I'm seriously, like it's, I mean, some people listening might be like, oh, that's BS. Like, you, you know, no, really, it was about obviously because like it costs a lot of money to go there. Right. <laughs> and like right. the thing is, is like I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like I was going to have the best experience to, yeah, of course, to really like dig into this thing that I loved, you know? It wasn't about like, well, I'm going to graduate and start teaching in two years and become like make a paycheck or whatever. As irresponsible as it is that I didn't think that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no, no. It worked just, to your advantage. Yeah. <laughs> but you must have had that too. I mean, you skateboarded as a kid, right? I, I grew up skateboarding. I grew up in Virginia Beach, but I was never any good. Um, you well, know, that's what fine. I, we don't. <laughs> it's not about being good anyways, is it? It was about having that Gons deck. Like it <laughs> but uh, I tell you what I, what I appreciated most about uh, skateboarding was, um, you know, creating my own decks and T-shirts and zines and stickers yeah. and things like that. And then having those things um, valued, you know, and then feeling empowered um, because of that. Definitely. I mean, that was like, for me, a huge draw of the of it. I mean, I liked skateboarding, but I also loved the visual side of it. I think a lot of people of a certain generation, that was a big draw to it. It was the look, the feel, and, you know, the sort of subculture of it was all tied together, you know. You didn't have skateboarding without public enemy or minor threat and vans and 
stickers and vision streetwear and whatever you know yeah you, you know the experience of walking into a skate shop and looking at what are essentially oil on wood panels right it's the same yeah. um aesthetic experience of walking into a museum or gallery and then the the valuation is based on aesthetics the same way you know as an aesthetic experience of going into a museum so it's it's exactly the same experience and expression of you know appreciation for you know um what you like and um you know what you value you know right uh, and 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 using those um graphics and boards the same way people use art as a way to um express themselves you know and right. and, and and identify you know with the artwork yeah definitely well it, you know when you're young and you're into that stuff I mean, you've been able to sort of uh, work within the constructs of like design and sort of, you know, fashion or clothing and, and books and paraphernalia, you know, and also making paintings and you've done all that different stuff. Did you come to it when you were young from an angle of like, I want to do all this stuff or was it just, did it shape its way through school or how did it manifest itself from your early interests? Because I think a lot of people who were creative at that yeah. age had those interests, you know? I, I think it, it is the result of um, in embracing and loving and creating um, graphics, which is to say, you know, artwork um, that can be used to make artwork. So back right. to this idea of essentially making a program that can run on multiple operating systems, be it, you know, painting or skateboard or T-shirt or, you know, that um, the core of what I make is that program or that code, right? So, and, right. That, and that's what graphics are. They're not the end thing, but they're the means by which, um, you know, other things can be made. Um, right. And so they are the the you know, the computer program, so to speak. Right. But there's, there, you know, there are people who navigate those. I feel like we're jumping into the deep end of the pool right off the jump, but there are people who navigate those waters in different ways, different mm. aesthetics, mm. but it feels like you're, you gravitated towards specifically <clears throat> graphics and design like that <clears throat> aspect of it. Right. Yes, but I don't know if I would describe it as as gravitating toward that as as much as I would describe it as a, um, acknowledging and maybe coming to terms with that's just who I am. That's what I like doing, and that's you know my identity. Um, as right. opposed, you know, so I'm it's coming from within as opposed to me going to it, um, which sounds like a nuanced difference. But um, the difference is it's I have no choice. There's you right. know. And, and you have a choice if you're going to something, you could go to something else. Um, if you're just understanding um, who you are through a process of becoming self-actualized, then there is no choice. You are who you are, right? Right, definitely, yeah. yeah. And it's not something you're externally searching for. It's something that resonated within. Right, and you're just trying to get it out. But how did it, was it, but we all, to an extent, are a product of our environment. In one way, shape, or form. Sure, so, sure. growing up, like you, you said, you grew up in Virginia Beach. Yeah, I mean, were were your parents creative? Were you around a sort of like uh, a creative making culture? You know, my mom was very creative. She was always making things, and our house was just full of crafts and workstations. 
Um, so yeah. it's always making going on, you know, um, in a, in a house and, and around. And my father was a um, computer systems analyst. So he was always making um, lists of things to do. <laughs> you know, he was writing programs and, and, and the scripts. And so, you know, the combination, I think, of, of both of those is, has shaped, of course, you know, my practice today yeah, I mean, and who I am. It seems like it couldn't be more one-to-one in a way. Right, 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 <laughs> they must right, think, right. They must have thought when you started doing that, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good blend of the two of us. I, I suppose so. And that's, I think, also what led me to um, graphic design and study graphic design. Um, yeah. Because that's, that's, there's a very... Um, well, depending on what program you go through, it's it's a it's a discipline. You know, there's an underlying structure to it. There are real rules um, to be learned and real rules to be broken. And so that's what I appreciated about studying, you know, graphic design, um, while also right. studying, you know, studio art and uh, painting. Um, but growing up um, in Virginia Beach, I went through the um, public school system, and you know, the you know, art um, classes in public school system are the, you know, those are the classes you take almost as a joke or an easy A. And so I did yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, or to fulfill a credit or something. And so um, I was fortunate enough to go to a school for um, gifted and talented kids starting an elementary school for art. It was one day a week. And that's where I, I understood that, um, you know, art was this, could be a serious pursuit, and it yeah. was a serious pursuit, and it was a very difficult program. And you know, I can remember not being allowed to go to recess because I still had to finish, you know, still life. Um, and we were doing um, work at the um, and studying art history at the on the college level and taking college tests. Um, uh, and and it was very difficult. And so I never really took any art classes in, in regular school, you know, and I, yeah. and I didn't even take like AP art or anything like that. What I did was follow this other program um, actually through high school. Um, but then because of my involvement in, you know, like skateboarding and um, making cassette covers and being in a band and flyers and things like that, I, I, I kind of understood that what I was doing and what I loved doing was, um, you know, the graphics. And I understood that, that there was um, a whole, a whole world called graphic design. Right. And, that, yeah. and that's what, that's, you know, that's what I loved. That's what resonated with me. I was also really fortunate to have this job, um, an after school job um, working for the Navy, you know, Virginia beach has, I think five Navy bases. And my title was artist illustrator. And I would make all the, um, all the graphics for like the mess hall, the menus and flyers and, um, you know, worked on a Croy lettering machine with wax machines and learned how to do um, paste up, you know, while I was in high school. Um, and I loved How'd you get that, that gig? Uh, that was uh, through a girlfriend's mother worked on the Navy base in this department and um, mm-hmm. knew that I, you know, liked art and asked if I'd like an after school job which, you know, would enable her to keep an eye on me, of course. <laughs> right, right. Um, because I was dating her daughter. Uh, but uh, that's, how I got, that's how I got the job, you know. Yeah. And I was, I was so psyched. That was, that was very formative. 
Yeah, well, it's a it's an early age to sort of see that creative juices result in, you know, a paycheck or like oh you know, right something yeah, that there's that too. Value. Yeah, I mean, I telemarketed and painted houses, <laughs> so right. awful, mm-hmm. and did some roofing. You know, like just jobs that I was like, but were educational to me because I knew I don't want to do that when I of go course home. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to work for a moving company. It's not the best gig. So that gives you some inspiration too. Right. But yeah, what, uh, so when you were going to go off to school after high school, was it, was the path forged then by the preparations that you were doing when you were younger? Did you know the route you were going? Well, I I suppose so. You know, maybe not until like middle of high school did I become comfortable with um, the idea of pursuing you know, art, art and design. Um, Because I think up until that point, um, you know, I I did really well in school and was academically inclined and and had that kind of parallel path developing at the same time as maybe an artistic one. And so you kind of give up whatever path that would put you on, you know, if you decide, you know, not to go in that direction, you know, so to speak. Um, so, so I, I, I don't think it was until like more what that I would put you at like sophomore year in high school until I thought about long term um, pursuits in art and design. Well, did the um, how did the path of music start and go, and was that a draw as well? Well, I had um, a, a really good friend. We started a band in junior high school. And he was the musician. I'm not musically inclined at all. Um, like I said, I enjoyed making like the cassette covers and the and the, and the posters, and interested in the um, in, in the propaganda side, you know, of of building a uh, right. a brand, the right, 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 or even like building the presence. Like we yeah. would, you know, we would put up spoof uh, concert posters, you know, around town, and we would, you know, get on the radio. And so I was I was interested in like. Um, what uh, that side of it kind of interested me, you know? Um, so anyway, the real point is I, I, I know nothing about music and it wasn't, it wasn't ever a real, you know, option, you know, pursuing music. This is something that you did with friends. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 like everyone has, you know, garage band growing up, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah I felt like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I felt like I've gone to see punk shows in Virginia beach. Would there have been a club or a place near the beach? Probably something called the the boathouse. Maybe that was um, it. that was, that was a mean, venue deep in the the recesses of memory. But I remember being at Virginia Beach and seeing a show and being like, "Wow, this is not expecting it there." Aha! Uh-huh. Right, right, right. Um, well, Virginia Beach uh, is supposedly the largest um, resort city in the world. I think that's on the uh, sign as you right? go into Virginia Beach, and, I, and it's probably by landmass, you know. Right. Um, right. Anyway, it's um, it, yeah. You probably have, would have gone to the boathouse. That's where I think I saw like Jesus and Mary Chain and Public Image Limited. And that that was the place where bands came through. Man, those are that's <laughs> some good shows right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mary Chain. Never, I've never seen them, and I saw a lot in that era, but I never saw them live. Yeah, I must, I, although I've heard that they were really loud. Is that correct? Well, sure. Yeah, it's a wall of sound coming at you, well, with their backs turned to the audience. 
Ah, uh, yeah. those days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> my Bloody Valentine, and I, I think I almost passed out. It was so loud. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to leave. There was like, it was in like a school auditorium sort of deal, and I had to go into the hallway behind because it got so loud. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, so, yeah, so when you're in school, did you, I guess one of the questions that I had for you is, because I don't really know your, the, the path that you took explicitly, like, were you drawn between areas of, you know, doing design work and then fine art? And did you ever feel that you have to, because you've been really good at kind of like getting stuff out in all these different platforms and diversify and probably not on purpose. You just like, you like to work in a lot of different realms and get the imagery out there in one way or another. So, and they seem to really do a good job of informing each other and taking on in their different vessels. They take on a different role, which is exciting for, for people who work in different areas, you know? Right, right, right. It's, 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 it's all the same to me. You know, I love making books and the books just, sometimes they just seem to happen. You know, like I'll um, yeah. wake up the next morning and I've like worked on a book all night, and um, you know I, I have those skills and I know that medium, and it's just you know it's the same as like making a painting for me, you know, for example, you know. Um, but you're right. Every now and then I'll make some shirts, or I'm working on a new skateboard now um, that's going to come out in the fall, um, which is actually bringing it back to Virginia Beach. Really exciting for me because it's being published by WRV. And it's going to benefit the um, Virginia Museum of Contemporary Art in Virginia Beach. Nice. Yeah. So um, every now and then I like to do those kinds of um, projects. Yeah, no, it's great. I I guess in thinking about, you know, maybe not so much today because things are a little more open, but back in, you know, a couple decades ago, like things were, there was a little more of like a hierarchical positioning and, you know, if you felt like you were really comfortable, not you, but an artist is really comfortable working in between different genres and stuff, there was a lot of times a pressure that, like, you got to pick something here, or, you know, this isn't high art, this is, you know, this is like, you know, those antiquated ideas of, but I'm sure that must have entered your creative process in your formative years, or you might have had some sort of like, you know, but it seems like you were able to navigate well those those waters and you had opportunities which i'm sure were you know confidence building and made you feel like oh i can do this and do that at the same time and there's not one isn't necessarily better than the other or there's not pressure to just put all your eggs in one basket well i um i did a lot of design work when i first moved uh to new york that's how i survived you know i you know hustled my portfolio or portfolios around town you know the deal was you would go to different design firms or record labels and drop off on a Thursday and pick up on a Monday. Maybe someone had reviewed your portfolio and left a note in it saying we'll be in touch or whatever. And so that was, that was the game that I was playing to stay alive when I first moved to New York Um, while still, you know, painting um, and being in group shows and things like that. So they were always very separate pursuits. I mean, the industries are completely different. You know, one's primarily a service industry and one's, more commodities based, of course. So the industries are very separate, and I've, I've always kind of separated it. Um, but to your point, the the kind of worlds for me did not merge together until about ninety nine or two thousand. You know, and I, I moved to New York in nineteen ninety four. Um, and and you're absolutely right. I think there was a you know there was a time where 
moment when I decided to kind of embrace um, what I was doing aesthetically on the design side. And I love making icons and symbols and, you know, drawing um, very, you know, making very technical drawings that are kind of based on an underlying geometry, right? And I, yeah. that's, that's what I studied. I love that. That's how I draw, you know, I'm going through a sketch process to get to those different solutions. Um, but I never, I wasn't really um, employing that aesthetic in my paintings until about 2000. Um, as what was re- the work before that like? Uh, like, it, it looked like, um, I was really interested um, when I was, you know, studying in school in uh, taking images from the public domain, like clip art images, and yeah. and painting those as a way to give them um, authorship and as a way to, you know, play the game of taking from low and, you know, recontextualizing in the high. I, I was fascinated with public domain clip art line art images in particular um since working at the at the navy base in high school and i would use those kinds of images and we would you know have subscriptions to these um clip art volumes that would come in and they would come in you know um one-sided black and white sheets that you would put on the photocopier and um enlarge and, and use and i was just fascinated by this idea that i didn't i didn't have to draw a picture i could just look through the binder labeled you know glasses and then find a drawing of the glass instead of drawing. it was it was it was it was surreal to me it was just, i didn't i didn't really get that the whole idea but then as i under I began to understand it a little bit more I, I wanted to use those in my paintings and so i was those were my paintings i was using clip art images and recontextualizing clip art and like i said it was my way to give these otherwise anonymous, you know, objects or, or drawings, um, authorship. Yeah. And, and so all my pain, all my paintings up to around that point were, you know, of, of clip art images, um, you know, with, with those concepts, you know, in mind about why I was doing that. Um, and, and then, um, like I said, the work kind of shifted to, um, becoming, um, you know, more uniquely mine, uh, because I was painting the icons and symbols that I was drawing myself. Right. So you're using that kind of iconography, but your spin on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Using that aesthetic, I would say, of the, of the kind of universal symbol um, right. that kind of comes out of you know, internationalism and, and, or an international style, I should say, um, and has roots in like, you know, Bauhaus, for instance. Right. But it's really interesting, that flip, because it sounds like you started off taking things that were universal and trying to make them, you know, the personal by painting them or, you know, making an original out of something that's the most unoriginal thing. Right. And then you flip that and you're making, you know, you're taking things that are very unoriginal in a way, but doing an original version of those. Right, right, right. Or taking, yeah, 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 exactly. But the interesting thing too is for younger people, like back then, like clip art, like mm-hmm. it wasn't just Google. You couldn't just find that stuff <laughs> easily, right? No, no, I no. remember when I first moved to the city in the late nineties and I needed, you know, source imagery for certain things that I was doing. I'd have to go up by Bryant Park to that image library. Oh yeah, you know of course. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you could there. go up and photocopy. you could do black and white photocopies from full they just had like paper folders with 
just alphabetical of things. And you could borrow so like those If you wanted clippings. a picture yeah. of a copying machine, you would have to go and under C, find a copy machine, then go make a photocopy of right. that picture. Right. And that was your source image. Right. Or, or it's wild to think, right? Or you could borrow those clip, uh, clippings too, and you'd have to return them and um, they oh, give you a special you? folder. Never, <laughs> oh my gosh, I would never have faith in you. I think maybe that's why I used a copy machine. I'm worried that I would lose it. My track record as far as returning library materials, not not the best. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. That's you know that was, was certainly one way to research images. Um, and yeah. th- and then you know clip art was was another way. Um, and uh, you know you you could find the uh, the Dover publications. Um, those were the saddle stitch thin volumes based on uh, different different subjects. Yeah, so it would be like women's heads or um, <laughs> kitchen utensils or something like right. that. Um, and then I remember that that wonderful zine called a uh, crap hound. Remember crap hound? I don't. So um, this guy pulled, pulled together um, public domain clip art, you know, from multiple sources and made his own kind of like um, meta volumes of different subjects. So each issue was a different uh, you know, set of different topics. Anyway, it was uh, it was a, it was a really cool zine. You know, that was the time of. Um, you know, like going to Tower Records and looking in the zines section. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Zines were so important. Like mm-hmm. maximum rock and roll and that stuff. I mean, that mm-hmm. was what made us excited about things. I don't, I'm not trying to like walk down memory lane and be like, <laughs> I'm not trying to date myself. But yeah, I feel like when you look back and think about how, and I think this pertains really directly to like what you do in your work, how the relationship, um, visual images have to us in the speed and the availability that shift over our lifetime is like mind baffling. Like mm-hmm. I remember microfiche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Like that arc is pretty steep. You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like I'm sure it's going to, it's all relative and it'll be different from like my son. And when he's, you know, growing up with iPads and computers and stuff like that, I'm sure in like 20 years, it'll be crazy. The difference of whatever augmented reality we're in, but it just seems really severe. Like that, that kind of arc of how we ingest and the speed that we ingest imagery. Yeah, of course. And, 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 and that begs the question, what, what, where would you see it going? And, and I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if AI will be anticipating your image desires. And so they'll be served up, you know, whatever AI anticipates you wanting um, based on, I don't know, whatever you might be work, working on. Kind of does that now. Or if right? you know, your eyes could be tracked, you know, what you happen to be looking at, you know. Right. Yeah, and it all depends on our ability. Like, it just has to be packaged yeah. in a way that really plays to our enjoyment. Because oh, then if, if, you know, humans are like that, like, if it's something that we're tickled by, we'll mm. watch it and we'll, we'll buy into it. You know what I mean? Right. So, so the idea of, um, you know, entertainment, right. Um, serving it up as, as entertainment, but also as a way as serving it up as um, fulfilling someone's identity. Right. If, 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 you know, they can get to know me or my AI overlords know me better than I know myself then they'll be able to serve me up suggestions that will make me feel whole. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or like you, you, you get me. You finally, someone who gets me. Right. 
Right, right. Like sometimes on my Spotify suggested listening <laughs> records, I'll see a cover and I'll be like, that's not now. You know, I'll just, I'll fight it. And then sooner or later I might listen to it and be like, ah, oh, you know me better than I know. I know, I know. I, I fall victim to to that on Spotify specifically a lot. And I, um, and I try to resist, you know, what's being served up and, and, um, <laughs> futile, right. Resistant. Yeah. Right. You just need to submit to the AI overlords and let go and just, <laughs> you know, just take the ride and enjoy the ride. It's either that or you like what you like, you know right. what I mean? And you, and that could be very diverse, you know, but you're still going to like it. Um, right. So, you know, whether if you start getting into, I don't know, like, you know, let's say you're, you're really into the didgeridoo all of a sudden and you're listening to, to records with that in it. I mean, they're going to pop up right. and you might take a listen to it. Right, 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 it's right, just, right. I don't know. It's human nature. I, guess. <laughs> I think we're a lot more predictable than maybe. Of course, of course. Imagine. We like to think we are, yeah. Yes, but all... Unique as a snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you started working uh, in design, like that was your first sort of, you know, that's what you were doing. And you were kind of like making a living doing that. Was it, was that taking a lot of your time? Were you feeling the pull to, was there a struggle at all between, you know, balancing all the different creative things that you wanted to do and how quickly were you able to like jump into because you've done a lot of different stuff for a lot of different people in a lot of different venues and couldn't even go over all of it. So. Yeah, as, as, I suppose so. I mean, what I, um, you know, what I learned early on upon moving to New York is that I didn't want to take a job. And I, I was always freelance. So I've, I've never had, you know, a, a, I've never been an employee. I've never had a full-time job um, yeah. because I wanted to manage that and have that kind of flexibility, just like you were saying. Um, to balance between, you know, um, work that I could um, earn from versus yeah. work that I could learn from, right? And yeah. and as soon as I could, after about two years of being in New York, I got a separate studio. And I knew that was also important, to have a separate space. And this was like 200 square feet. It was like a broom closet um, on Broadway, right south of um, Prince Street. In fact, most of the most of the tenants were galleries. That's where a lot of the galleries were then, of yeah, course. Definitely. And so I had a little separate room closet that was my studio that I would go to every day. Um, and so, you know, carving out a space to make your work, I think, is really important physically, literally, a space. Now, have those spaces these days converged a bit or do you work between spaces? I mean, I found mm. myself, especially since pandemic, but I sort of enjoy being a little more, you know, migrant when it comes to like, I can work, you know, I work in Pennsylvania in my office there and studio, oh, nice. and then working here and then at home at the studio. And sometimes when family, I'll set up studio space with wherever I'm visiting family. And I kind of like the recalibrating you know and yeah. and i think the computer too enables you if you work at all digitally there's kind of an extension there that's much easier than like you know five different full-on analog studios right of course of course yeah so i've, I've got that same kind of flexibility and I, you know um can i always set up shop or a little work area wherever wherever i am now do you prescribe to the notion that some of us feel that with the ability to work anywhere at any given time that you're kind of always on the clock and you have that endless running on the hamster wheel of never slowing down because you can just keep 
doing stuff and working at any given moment? Well, well for me, um, working and doing stuff at any given moment is, is living, right? So it's, yeah. it's when I'm not doing that, that I'm suffering. And so for me, it just means a, a more enriched life, you know. No, I, I agree, yeah. but I, yeah. do you have the moments of when you need to, like, take the break and do the vacation or get away from it all and, like, re- reset your, recalibrate your Yeah, body? no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, being in the studio is a vacation for me, you know. Yeah. It's, it's when I have to um, go home and, um, you know, tuck my girls in at night. That's work. <laughs> That's hard work. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it is. Yeah, no one talks about that, right? right. Well, I guess people do. I guess. But uh, to tell you a secret, no one's listening. But um, <laughs> I feel the same way. Like I could be, and you know, don't tell my family this. I could be perfectly happy, just never. I mean, and I love traveling and I love doing other things. But part of my being is perfectly happy. Just would be going to the studio every single day. Yeah, of course, you know, of course, yeah. and working. But that's insensitive and very selfish. That <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you, you know, you're in the service of the work. It's, it's, you know, you are committed to the work and you are, you know, um, a diligent messenger of, 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 you know, the work, you know, wherever you, you think it may be coming from. Um, yeah, so totally. I, you know, I don't think it's selfish at all. I do feel, though, that, like, since having a family and having my kid, you know, I, it's it's made me see things different. Like I've gotten outside of my own infinity loop of, of like course. I know about you. the things I'm doing, and it gives you a whole different perspective on things, which is kind of a nice. I mean, maybe that's kind of a reset button in a way that you're outside of yourself, because you know, for when I moved to New York in the late '90s, I think until you know the mid 2000s i was kind of like in my own world you know just like mm-hmm. me 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 like working 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 and i right. think there is something to be said for you know stepping outside of that occasionally of course you know i've actually um not in terms of family but in terms of uh, my own work been thinking about that notion um more and more the idea of being able to you know see yourself as others see you or um see your work as others see your work, yeah. um, which isn't something I've, I've ever thought about um, until, you know, maybe about two years ago. Um, because when I, you know, take, take a typical painting, which I would call like the mindscape, you know, all over or full bleed, um, yeah. very, very layered painting. To me, that is crystal clear, um, legible, readable, and I see it. But only recently have I realized that mo- to most people, I mean, it's just a, a bunch of scrambled eggs. It's like, like it's, it's more evacuate. It, yeah, 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 and you, yeah. And you can't discern the separate parts, and you can't break them apart. Or one, I, I assume one can, and, and I think that's that's true. Um, and so, like for the first time, again, kind of starting a few years ago, I'm realizing like, oh, I don't, I don't think people are seeing these the same way I'm seeing them. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, which, do you? I was just going to say, do you think, is that because the engagement that you have with the people who are talking to you about the work or like, why do you feel like that's just sort of entered the equation so recently? That's a good question. I don't know what it's, it's a result of. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know. Cause it hasn't been like one specific instance or conversation or something like that, but. Um, like a literal light bulb just appeared. 
you know, when you're talking yeah. to someone about the work, it's something gradual. But yeah, and, but and maybe so I'd like to see my work in reproduction or reproduce small on a screen and just like, oh wait, is that what it looks like? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it and and it's um, it's a bit baffling because to me, it, I mean, the visions are just so clear. I just can't imagine anyone not seeing what I see. You know. Right. Um, but of course they don't. Right. Yeah. No. I I think it's like when you hear your own voice or you see yourself on film like seeing yourself on film unless you're really comfortable with yourself is always a bit off you're like wait a minute right. that's what i you know what i mean <laughs> it's it's never like you have a perception of yourself and your work and everything and then there's yeah, yeah. how it's perceived from the outside yeah. it's always but i think that's that's part of the reason we love to do what we do is that you sort of it brokers a a kind of like conversation between our perception of the world you know and and other people see it in different ways because mm-hmm. if everyone mm-hmm. saw your work the way you see it not you but the proverbial you it, right, right, it would right. be a pretty boring conversation <laughs> right of course of course um but you know but this um this line of of contemplation has also um made me think more about an audience you know yeah. i've never thought about an audience when making my work and i've never thought about how the work is being seen or communicated or how i'm communicating or or how people are seeing it um so now i'm i'm starting to kind of play with that idea or recognize at least that idea that i know that you know that i know what you're seeing you know yeah um and and that for me that brings up a lot of issues I'm trying to tackle now with like these new drawings that I'm working on about um, uh, fact and fiction and theatrics and um, drama in the work you know because all of those are concepts from you know the entertainment industry and and that you know that's an industry that you um, value work based on how it's received right right um, yeah. And, and that's never been my take on art at all. Um, and, but I'm starting to think about it more and more. Yeah. It's a pretty exciting door to kick open, you know, yeah. from at a certain point too. It's like, cause you've been working for quite a while. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And, and, you know, these so-called breakthroughs happen, you know, maybe every eight to 10 years. <laughs> yeah. The cycle. Yeah. God, what else is it? I feel like eight to ten years is another cycle of some sort, isn't it? <laughs> it's something <laughs> in the recent memory. Um, so here's a question. What if you were to align this is impossible and you're probably getting annoyed by this, but if you were to align your work with a certain kind of music, what do you think yeah. your your work sounds like? Like what kind of music? Well, you know, I make so many different bodies of work. Uh well, I mean not so many, but a, a range of works that I yeah. think um, would could be paired or matched with different kinds of music. So let's take the more um, technical drawings or the geometric drawings or the hard edge, you know, kind yeah. of vector drawings. You know, that those would seem to be paired with something maybe more electronic, right? Um, like Autecker. I don't even know what Autecker is. I think it would. It oh. we'll have to listen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no. It's well. It's kind of like um, I'm trying to think of a like Aphex Twin, but not okay, the sure. more classical versions, but the little more of the more austere electronic. He's actually Aphex Twin's a good example, I think, because he's really diverse too. He'll have stuff that's like very minimal and electronic. Then he'll have piano stuff, and then I'll do like drum and like 
drum and bass on acid kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he's pretty yeah. varied in like the kind of stuff that he's doing. So I think from my, you were going to say, no, like, no, no, no just, electronic for that, for that end of the spectrum of the work. And then, um, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, the work that, um, uh, has more of my hand in it, let's say, you know, certainly something a little more warmer, maybe like that. I normally listen to, uh, like indie rock or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like post rock. Were you into post rock at that, at that era? Uh, that would have been what, like, mid 90s yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like the tortoises of the world and stuff like that yeah it's kind of nice because without the lyric i mean that instrumental stuff that's real kind of atmospheric you know yeah but i didn't know how it aligns because i mean you it seemed like you do so much stuff with you know posters and graphics and stuff Uh. like that if you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of musicians i should probably know the answer to that well you know you know what when when I first moved to New York, I did a lot of work for the music industry and for yeah. record labels, um, big and small, mostly small independent record labels. Um, right. Yeah, doing logos and album covers and things like that and um, gig posters um, for different venues in New York. Um, and uh, so I, I, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a match between the music that I was um, listening to and the, and the I don't know the work I was doing. If well, for that kind of stuff, was it was it based on like um, what the people were asking of you, or was it your own direction? You oh, know what uh, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly a little, little bit of both. Um, yeah, but but I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was uh, an extension or express or expression of what I was doing with my paintings. You yeah, know, it's not like I, your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, but know, at a that, certain point, it must have gotten to that where some people were asking you for that. Right, but but not when you know I first moved to New York. I really kept the two pursuits separate. Yeah, yeah. I was I was Did just it feel good to merge it when you were able to. Well, I think um sh- sure because it's a it's a whole a wholer self, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, of course. You know, I can remember um around that time, um, friends coming over to my studio. For studio visits, as artist friends you know do, and and um, and them really responding to all of the um, graphics and design work that I had up alongside you know my paintings because I was doing yeah. it all in some space, and to to me that work is just kind of flows out of me, you know, like I, I've said before, it's kind of my identity, it's just who I am, and so I didn't value it so much because there wasn't a lot of labor going into it. It was easy. Right. For me, that's easy. Yeah. Um, but to them, they're like, well, well, how do you, how did you do this? Did you draw this? Like, wow, this is great. This looks like that. that you know, um, and, and, and so that, I guess, signaled to me that, um, that you know, the more honest work, I guess, because I was trying to make paintings. And when you try to make art, you make, work that looks like art right 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 um, definitely yeah and and then there this is what it is <laughs> right and you know there wasn't a real precedent for kind of more graphic work or symbol-based work you know um i had admired the work of like ashley bickerton who worked with symbols and did some pieces based on that but those weren't things he had authored you know same yeah. with um uh, gosh who else was doing stuff like that Anyway, um, I'd imagine someone like Larry Pittman would have been interesting to you as far as like the physical 
the making right. of that work because it right. blew me away when I first saw it. I was like, wait, this is, you can paint like this? You know right. what I mean? It was just so layered and dense and obviously it had been doing like faux finishing and like other kinds of paintings that really, you know, it was just felt different, you know? Right. Remember Michael Bevilacqua when he first was making these paintings that were like taking Matthew Barney's Cremaster, like images of that, but then like racing decals and, you know, it's kind of like merging all this stuff together. And those were, way. those were great. I felt a real kinship with his work. We were showing it at Deitz around the same time. And when, you know, he was showing those paintings that also, you know, kind of reinforced and gave me a sense of permission. Um, yeah. Matt Mulliken is, is the artist I was thinking of. Oh, who, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, certainly, he's another artist who kind of gave me the kind of permission when I saw that work in a fine art context or that aesthetic. Right. Um, although, again, th- those weren't images that he authored, right? So that was always, you know, authorship has always been important to me and making original drawings has been really important to me. Yeah, because the, your, you know, your, iconography is exists within you know the realm of design or whatever but it's always about you and what you're making not right. that quote-unquote clip art that you, you know right of borrowing someone else's thing maybe the the vessel of it there's a reverberation there but it's really about your drawing and your hand and what you're making yeah and i think a lot of times um people mistake my drawings for having been sourced from somewhere you know yeah. that's it's about appropriation um but it's it, it's 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 not well, it makes sense though, because that's such a familiar vehicle for people. Yeah, like, of course. When you see signs and logos, even if they're not real, you think, "Oh, that must be from somewhere." You of know? course, and I guess which that's... is really interesting in a way. Well, it that... plays on our familiarity of like you know a certain formal visual process. You know. Well, that that's the irony is that I try to make works that look you know like universal symbols that could have been anonymously made, and so they're successful in that regard. And the consequence is that they're not often, um, you know, attributing uh, an authorship to them. Well, I would think what's great about it, too, is that you're injecting originality and life into, you know, a format that people so often cast off as having no sort of intrinsic value of of authorship or, or, you know, individuality, which is not true because there's so much design work. It, which is done has that voice and has, but it is operating in a commercial realm. So people are like, Oh, that's just, you know, that's like client work or whatever, but it's, it's not true. It's like, I mean, if you look, remember that magazine Ray gun, I mean, that was like a revolution of like grunge and that kind of culture. And, you know, it, it's a vehicle for, of expression and originality, but it yeah. just happens to be design work. You know, I remember when Ray gun came out, I was, I was in Pittsburgh working at a PR firm in downtown Pittsburgh Oh my and, hometown! Yeah, and um, I you know I heard rumblings of um, you know the design director from Beach Culture. That was the magazine that um, David Carson did before Ray Gun, starting yeah. this new magazine. And I think I had like pre-subscribed or um, uh, uh, signed up for like the first you know ten issues, and um, I I loved it. So I couldn't get enough of it. And um, you know for better or for worse, and you know regard you know regardless of all the you know, debates that they inspired in the design community. I thought, I thought it was super radical. Yeah. Yeah. It just felt fresh, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was not like other stuff. I mean, right. you could say the same thing about grunge music when it, when right. it first came out, I mean, it was a game changer. There was nothing like it, you know, yeah, of course. maybe what it became later, you know, that always happens like take Ray Gun or something. It happens with, 
either bands, anything that where someone makes a really significant contribution, it's epic. And then it sometimes they're they end up being seen in retrospect as problematic because they inspired so many knockoffs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like the great band, like I used to love Boards of Canada, but after Boards of Canada, there were so many Boards of Canada-ish bands that came out after that that you were like, oh my God, enough of that. You know what I mean? They kind of spoil it. Right. And and what you may also be alluding to is the fact that the spinoffs sometimes are more popular than the original. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And like a slightly watered down, more popular version. Yeah. Remember uh, it, like when Neo Rausch first came out, I felt like German painting for a while after that, just it all was starting to look like Neil Rausch. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. You know, but he was so good. That's why it was like so influential. I mean, that's usually what happens. You know, if you really make a mark, people are going to want to go down that road. In all aspects of culture, of course. Yeah. For sure. So you had this recent show with Miles. It was like the wraparound. I mean, I'm sure that was, I mean, have you done that before to where you've, You've kind of like worked specifically with a space and square inched it like that? Well, I have, but the work has, um, in those previous cases, always been on the wall. Um, yeah. And so this was um, a case where I wanted to do that, but, you know, have the, um, you know, the walls be the canvases and could be broken apart and reassembled somewhere else and reconfigured somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, uh, you know, a um, a continuation of those, you know, site-specific installations that I've done. And you had a good response to it? Well, I mean, it's during the pandemic, you know? So yeah, I know. We, it's hard, right? We had this one, you know, I think, window of opportunity last fall because the show was supposed to be April. And we had already printed the book. The, the work was actually, this is the crazy thing, Brian. The work was done last January. Oh, because so you were sitting well, we did a secret install for three days over the holidays oh, right. yeah, so yeah. that for we photos, could, yeah. for the photos that would appear in the book in April, later that year. And so the work was already done. The installation was already done. We were just going to replicate it for the opening in April. And then, of course, we postponed it. Um, I, I was just fortunate that they could, and were willing to postpone it until October. Yeah. But there was a short window in, in during October, November, um, where things kind of opened up a bit. Um, before closing back down. And that's when we had the exhibition. Um, and so, yeah, some people saw it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, but yeah, it's better than, you know, some, like you said, some people had shows up right when right. things went down, which is rough. Because you work, you know, you work a long time on this stuff and what can you do? Everyone was in the same boat, so right. to speak. So, right. um but yeah, I mean, you had like an amazing images out of it too. And then the book that that you're, is it done properly? Like it's done, right? Is it yeah. released yet? Um, you, you mean the small book that I sent you or the, or the yeah. new one? Yeah. Wait, um, that's a small book? Well, well it's a nine inch, you know, in <laughs> right, cover, right. cover size. The perimeter is small. <laughs> right, right. The, um, the larger book, which um, the gallery published, um, yeah. of course, came out during that's the exhibition. Um, you know that book? That book that I made, which is more of an artist book, really, um, right. and that came about because I was struggling with the video that the gallery wanted to make. You know, they do these videos that accompany each right. exhibition. Yep. And because this was such an ambitious exhibition for me that took me about 18 months to to make, um, I had a lot to say. 
And so I struggled with trying to fit it all into the prescribed video format. And in the end, we did three videos. And um, it, 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 it just took me a long time to wrap my head around all the different things I wanted to say. And I don't, really, I don't make videos. I don't know that medium, right. but, I, but I do make books. And so the book is the result of struggling through with all the different things I wanted to say in, in those videos. Right, it's pretty great. It reminded me a little bit, not only in shape and form, but also the density and like the kind of approach to that. Remember that Prada book that came out that was OMA was involved with? No, I don't but know it, that. They did this book that's kind of a similar shape, and it was just almost like a look into the minds of the inspiration of all that, of the Soho store when it was coming out. And it was a beautiful book yeah. that was done, but it was really cool because it was, it felt like you were like, scrolling through someone's brain in a process of coming up with an idea for something, which is, you know, a lot of times with books, it's like the end result or it's the polish or, you know, it's like here are the glossy pictures of whatever we accomplished, but it's really cool to see the sort of like the mind working visually through influence and the whole totality of the project or of the work of whatever it is. So well, I'm really, really great. Oh, thanks for saying that. I'm really excited about that book. It's, it's, might be the first artist book that I've made that as clearly as I can expresses my thoughts on all those different topics, you know, um, from yeah. painting and, and drawing and, and process and, um, you know, so, so it feels very honest and genuine and um, I'm excited to have finished it and it will be the first or it is the first in what I envision being a whole series of artist books at that size and format. So there'll be a whole set. Yeah. I love the, yeah. I love that size yeah. and the density of it. It's such a great, although can you really, I guess you can, can you fill up a lot of that? Can you fill up a series of those? That's a lot of, well, e each, each book is a different concept based on a different body of work. So I've got, you know, a dozen already outlined, um, but, yeah. but each will be very different. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really cool project. So when does that, is that out-out or when does that come out it's to the public? Good question. Um, any day now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. TBD? Right, right. Soon, soon, soon. The book's done. That's the hardest part. Yeah, definitely. Well, so how can people stay abreast of what you're doing that way whenever it does drop, they can check go check it out or get it? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I update Website, my, my webs, like, both, both of those. Uh, I, yeah. I update, yeah. Cool. And then do you have anything on the ledger as far as like paintings and like show like gallery stuff right now? Or are you just Oh I, I, I does that mean that we're getting to the end, Brian? Is that like oh, is that I, we, is that like you getting up from your chair at, at your desk after a meeting and saying it's so great for you to stop by? It, it's the code this is like the code <laughs> way of me saying I have to pee. <laughs> we can take a break. You wanna take a break? Which is no no no, that's a joke. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm I'm good as far as that's concerned. No, but, but I yeah, but I like that Go question ahead. because it makes me think that um, to mention I'll be appearing, you know, at Chinatown Chuckles this Sunday at uh, four o'clock, <laughs> four o'clock in the afternoon. Do you uh, have anything else to plug? Right. I'll be at an open mic down at the Boston. Right. Right. There's a two drink minimum and a cover charge. <laughs> Bring your but, friends. Right. <laughs> oh, remember days when you could go out. And that was nice. And you can have like times and dates to plug things and go see live music. Hopefully soon, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Well, today I was working on this um, project I'll be doing with Exhibition A. They're going to be uh, publishing oh, yeah. 
yeah, they're going to nice. be publishing an edition in a few months. Um, I'm super psyched about it because I'm working in this material I love called um, porcelain baked enamel. And this is the same material that you've seen like old subway signs made out of. Um, yeah. Extremely durable. Of course, it's a signage material, so I love it. Um, so I'm working on that and um, working on the next artist book in that series we were just talking about. Right. Um, like I said, I'm finishing up that. It's, it will be um, not only a skateboard with WRV in Virginia Beach, but also a T-shirt. And then we're going to do um, three unique surfboards. And like I said, those are all going to benefit the um, Virginia Museum of Contemporary Art. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, just always, yeah, I'm working on some new paintings, new drawings. Nice. Just always working. Are you, um, now you said that you could be perfectly happy just working in the studio every day, but are you, do you travel a lot? I mean, pre this? Yeah. So that's, that's one of the reasons why the actual, dare I say the pandemic, you know, it's a silver lining is that I haven't been traveling. Right. Um, So yeah, I guess a fair amount, you know, try, try not to work related stuff or yeah, for work. Yeah. Yeah. I also like to go back and forth between um, Amsterdam and just go there to work on projects and um, um, really pow- you know, power through um, things that I'm working on. I tend yeah, to work oh, so on you, things for like, you years. You work there, work there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Do you, so do you have a place that you're... Yeah, we have a place um, on Kaisersgracht. It's in the center of Amsterdam. And I, I love that city so much. It, 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 it the, feels really good. Uh, I've never been. I, I've been to a lot of places in Europe and you know in Scandinavia. I just haven't been to Amsterdam. I but highly I recommend that, it. Yeah, I'd love to go. And I Denmark is one of my favorite places. I mean, I really yeah. had a great experience going there. There's something about the just even when you fly in there, the design of the airport and the feel mm-hmm. of it. It's just really nice. Mm-hmm. It's a different. It's a different vibe. It's mm-hmm. like reminds me a little. It's totally different, but it reminds me a little bit of Japan because there's a certain kind of, you know design like the everything is considered the details right Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. which i would imagine you like yes absolutely and you've done projects in japan i would imagine yeah yeah um projects and exhibitions do you travel there often Uh, not not as much as i'd like um that's a tough trip i mean that takes a while to get adjusted to yeah we i mean my family extended family are there and we you know used to go i mean obviously we haven't been since the pandemic but go pretty much every year and i feel like oh, wow. you can kind of train yourself hmm. for that flight it is it's long but you know it's just a few movies in a nap <laughs> and you're there <laughs> as long as there's not like three layovers and you're having to get off and go back on again but yeah i'm looking like i'm supposed to have a show there this either fall or winter i mean dates are a little suspect because you know with everything that's going on but you know, I'm really hoping that we can all travel over there. Oh, that would be exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's, we'll see. I mean, who knows how things will shape up, but optimistic that, you know, being fully vaccinated and, you know, hopefully things get better as far as that's concerned, because, you know, like you, I'm I'm perfectly happy being at home, but there is something nice about traveling Mm -hmm. too. Mm Mm-hmm stepping away for a minute and plus i think it's inspirational as far as like your your what you see of you know? course of course all the things that are visually like the rolodex of travel is really compelling last question uh what have you been listening to in the studio lately ah. are you a podcast or a music guy or like what are you up to as far as 
you know, the, the sound in the studio or silence? Well, both. And I'm looking up because earlier when you were talking about music, I brought up my Spotify account. So I'm... Oh, nice. I have a lot of um, <laughs> playlists. I make I make a lot of playlists. Um, of course and, you do. We're the mixtape generation, and, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so I will make different playlists according to different activities in the studio. So there's a, you know, there are songs for painting, songs for drawing, songs for varnishing, songs for cleaning, um, songs for studio visits, songs for photo shoots, songs to impress art handlers. Yeah, there's a whole range. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. There's got to be a lot of ACDC on the art handler one. <laughs> well, you know, there are the B-sides of, um, you know. I'm joking. Art yeah. handlers don't get upset. I know some people <laughs> right now are already hitting the email on the hate mail of like, what's wrong with ACDC? I love some ACDC. Can you do me a favor? Can we do a a pod, this podcast playlist that we could combine efforts on maybe? Oh, that'd be great. I a think little mixtape make... podcast one we could collaborate on. In fact, I think that's exactly how you do it. You you label it a collaborative playlist, and then you yep. can invite another user. Uh, I guess you know all that, but um, but that's fun to do with friends too. Yeah, so let's do that. All right, we're going to have a mixtape, and by the time this comes out, <laughs> we'll have it ready. Now, the title of your podcast comes from a song, right? David Bowie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, although I love the the sea and cake cover of it too, which I think you know was was really influential. I love that. And I was like really excited when I had Sam Precop on here because I was a huge sea and cake fan when I was younger and uh shrimp boat. So it was cool. But yeah, the sound and vision originally from, you know, Bowie, but a lot of time, I mean, music is a huge part of my life. So I'm always bringing it up almost to a fault. I'm sure my mm-hmm. students get driven crazy about it, but, um, but yeah, it's the confluence of both of those things. And it, we're, using sound to talk about a visual thing, which is kind of funny, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, I, um, to answer your question, listen to music, you know, all day, um, yeah. and podcasts as well. Right. Um, I, I need the air to be filled. So even when I, you know, go home, if there's not music playing, I'll put music on. Um, and you know, it's, sure. it, it's, it's obviously a way to set the mood and set a tone. Um, so it can be very manipulative in that way too. We have different right. alarms to go off at home with different playlists to signal, um, you know, it's time to get ready for bed. Or you know, I have um, nature sounds and bird songs going off in the morning to wake up. Um, so I I use music, you know, as, as a tool. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like if you really want to drive the kids crazy, you wake up with Dawkins. <laughs> and then maybe you you go to sleep with K-pop <laughs> to really throw them for a loop. <laughs> Kidding. Well, uh, listen, it was awesome to talk to you. For it was great to to sort of like well, hear your story and and you know thanks for taking out the time. And I've been a fan of your work for a long time, so I was really excited to to chat with you. And it's it's cool that you're you know with Miles and I was just and gonna stuff. say that um, it, it's you know. a, it's nice. Yeah. Um. Well, likewise, I, I really appreciate it, and um, I've been anticipating it for a while. And in anticipation, um, listening to all of your other uh, shows and interviews, which go back like over five years. Yes, and coincidentally, are great nighttime listening if you're having trouble falling asleep. <laughs> no, no, you, no, 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 no,
at hour and 15 minutes, it'll put you right. Actually, they're quite stimulating <laughs> and you have to have, you have to listen to them with, you know, access to pen and paper because, you know, they stimulate so many different thoughts and ideas. Oh, there's note taking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I think they're great. I mean, uh, congratulations for having done it for so long and kept the quality up. And I mean, until now. And then, um, (laughs) (laughs) well, this, we can leave this one off the record, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I'm particularly, um, inspired and impressed because there was a time, uh, about 18 months ago where I seriously thought about starting a podcast and ultimately, um, it was, we called, um, studio visit and and here's the pitch. It's, you know, car talk for artists, you know, and it's going to be artists to artists. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, ultimately I, I decided not to do it, um, because I realized that I was looking forward to transcribing the interviews and putting them in a book because I love making books and yeah, I was going to use the podcast just as a vehicle for gathering that information. Um, so, so, so I'm glad I realized that in addition to the fact that it's not my medium and I've had to go through a huge learning curve and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny, you know. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not, but I, I think once I got into the rhythm of it, it became almost like a necessity. You know what mm. I mean? Like having these conversations have been so insightful and I don't know, it's like a an hour and a half, 2 hours every week where I can just turn off the world nice. and like connect, you know, and think about this stuff and it's it's been really great. I you know, you, we do these things I mean, you know, you do a lot of them. T- you do these things that are outside of quote unquote, like your the main thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it ends up like this ends up being one of the most significant things I've done in my life. You know what I mean? And insightful. And I learn more through this than, you know, I do through a lot of other things. So it's, you know, but I don't think it's as, going as fragmented as, as, as you might make it out to be. It's, it's, right, it's, right. you know, it really is. It informs, you know, your, your, your paintings and your thoughts and you're making, um, uh, a contribution to culture that might seem separate from you know your paintings and but, right. but it's it's all the same it is yeah. it's just funny when sometimes people will say like oh you make art too because <laughs> <laughs> you always think the first thing you're doing you know what i mean that people just know that sort of thing and they're like oh you actually you make art too you know it's kind of funny but yeah, it's it's been really great it, well, it is it is a lot has anybody lot interviewed you on your podcast not on the pod. Well, sometimes people will send me a message and say like, well, it would be great to hear you on. And I've done right. a couple of other people's podcasts. Um, but go. I yeah. feel like I do talk and, and some once mm-hmm. in a blue moon, someone will send me a message and be like too much host. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let the artist talk. And uh, so, but I do feel like I do talk about my own thing too in, in an organic way where we're just, I mean, this is basically just if I'm hanging out in a studio with someone, this is what we talk about. And right. it's just probably more in depth, you know, and in a concentrated time frame. But, but yeah, I, I think I've over the course of time, I've probably talked about myself a little too much. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, I assume at some point you'll get back into the field and do studio visits or is this now the preferred method no i would love to i mean i i I really enjoyed i mean outside the parking tickets it was great to just go visit people in their studios but um yeah no i would really i'm i'm excited about that day when i because you know when you're in the studio and you smell the paint and you see stuff it's just different you know yeah but yeah that definitely things have changed and but the one beauty of all this is i've been able to speak with people 
from all over the world that maybe I would have put on the back burner because I'm was so often engaged with being like person to person and that was the precedent. So, you know, it's, it's really opened things up, I of think course. in a good way. So maybe it will be, be some, some combination. Yeah. 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 I think we, we just adapt. Like everyone adapts to a situation. We're kind of good at that humans. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, some of us with the masks, some people don't mm-hmm. adapt, but most of us, <laughs> but yeah it was great to talk likewise likewise thank you so much sound and vision is recorded edited and produced by myself brian alfred you can check out more about the podcast at soundandvisionpodcast.com you can check out more images on instagram at sound and vision podcast Many thanks to Ryan for sitting down to talk with me. You can check out his work at Miles McHenry Gallery. And he has that new book coming out, so make sure you check up on that. His Instagram is at McGinnisWorks. And you can check out his website at RyanMcGinnis.com. Many thanks to Lullatone for the intro-outro music and Michael Lovett of Nazca Lines for the introduction. Check him out also in Metronomy. They have some dates lined up. Uh, in the summer, I believe, coming soon, they're going to be playing some live shows, so it's good to see musicians hitting the road and playing live music again in the near future. Also, please go to iTunes if you can and leave a rating and review. It helps the podcast. It helps spread the word about it. And if you could share it with anyone you think might also want to listen to these artist stories. Um, some news coming up. I have a group show up currently in Tokyo at Maho Kubota Gallery. And I was just featured in the Art Fair Tokyo. I will have a solo show coming up in the fall at Maho Kubota Gallery in Tokyo. And also I have a spring show lined up for New York City with Miles McHenry Gallery. Um, I've got a couple other cool projects that are coming out soon that I will let you know about. And um, again, many thanks for listening. And we got some really great episodes coming up in the very near future so 